If you have your Bible, would you open it, take it out and open it with me this morning? I want to uh, encourage you also to uh, take out your bulletin, if you would. In your bulletin, there's a sermon outline provided on the second page of your bulletin. And I want to just point your attention to the, the fact of last week, if you were with us, we started talking about who we are as a church, our mission, our purpose in our community. We've been spending some time on that. So if you're visiting with us, maybe you're looking for a church, it's a good time to be here, to hear more about who we are, to get involved, perhaps at, a, at a, the church here, Bethesda. Last week, we, we took scripture reading right out of John chapter 5, and we're going back there, the gospel of John chapter 5. People ask us at times, where do you get your name Bethesda? Why do you call it Bethesda? Well, as we shared last week, Bethesda means house of mercy. We believe that as a church family, as individuals, because we determined last week that, that Bethesda is not a place, Bethesda is a people, right? It's you and it's me. We're the people of God. And, and so if Bethesda is a house of mercy, that means it's not this building that's merciful. It's the people within the building that are merciful, amen? So we go out of this building and we take the love and grace and mercies of God to a lost and hurting world, our sphere of influence, people around us that are in need. We should be walking in God's mercy daily. Now, beyond that, or in addition to that, we're a people of prayer. We believe in and we're committed to prayer. That's why we have prayer meetings every Wednesday night. We have a prayer meeting at Bethesda. Join us for that. We also want to encourage you that we begin tomorrow this 21 days of fasting and prayer. You heard about that. Please join us in that effort. We are committed to prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We do a lot of things in church when we come. Sometimes we just come as spectators. We come to watch and be a part of the worship and sing a few songs, but, but do we really pray? We should be praying. Now, that's not just this building that's a house of prayer, but as God's people, we should be people of prayer beyond these doors in our homes and in our cars and in our workplaces and our schools, wherever we are. We walk around and we're continually, as the Scripture tells us to do, praying without ceasing. We're constantly in a state of prayer, looking to the Lord and seeking the Lord. But we do have a concentrated effort for 21 days where we're joining together. There is a list of things in your bulletin, a prayer guide for the next week. Take advantage of that and join with us and join with people all around the nation and some around the world that are joining us in that prayer effort, okay? Now we're going to look in John chapter 5 again this morning, and I want to read. And today our title is House of Healing. Because another meaning for Bethesda is a house of healing, not just house of mercy, but a place of healing where the hurting and the broken can come and find a place where, yes, there's a merciful response given to them, but we also believe God can heal us of whatever is, is uh, ailing us, whatever's bothering us, whatever's broken in us. God is able to heal us. I believe that. Some of you found healing here at Bethesda. I have found healing here at Bethesda. I moved here in 1987. Bethesda has been my home since 1987. Yes, I'm that old. I see some of you looking at me that way. I was a sophomore in high school, and I've gone through some things as a high schooler, as you do in your young adult ages and, and, and marriage after Janet and I got married, the ups and downs of marriage, raising kids. That'll challenge you, won't it? Any parents in the house, you know what I'm talking about? I tell people before I had children, I had three theories on raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. None. It'll challenge you. Well, 
what we find here is that this man at the pool of Bethesda and many there were hurting and broken and Jesus ministers to this man. He ministers to his need. Look with me, will you? John chapter 5, verses 1 through, we're going to read through 15 today. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five porches or conolades. In these lay a multitude of uh, invalids. They were blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, just make note of that in your Bible because I want you to know that Jesus sees you just as he saw this man. He sees you in your time of need, your place of pain, your place of brokenness. He saw, he saw this man laying there. And beyond that, he didn't just see him. He knew the man's situation. He knew that he had been already there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? We could d discuss that question for a while. What an what a interesting question to ask a man who's been lame for 38 years. Do you want to be better? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. We shared last week that that really was the man's greatest need, right? The greatest need of the man was not to walk. The greatest need of this man was the aloneness, the aloneness issues, the loneliness that he was dealing with. And we've all dealt with that at times. He says, I've got nobody to help me in my time of need. Well, Jesus ministers to him and says to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So the Lord brought healing to him physically, but he doesn't leave it at that. Look with me on down here. Uh, the Bible tells us that the same day was the Sabbath. Now verse 10 says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, the Jews walking around saw this man. They knew he had been that lame man that had been in that condition for so long, and now he's healed. And they said to him, We celebrate with you that God has done this great thing in your life. Is that what the Jews said to him? We, we rejoice with you that you were, you were sick and lame, and now you are healed. We celebrate. No, they said it's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them and said, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says, The man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a great crowd in the place. Afterward, afterward, somebody say afterward. Mark that in your Bible. That's an important word in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him. I've underlined that whole phrase. Afterward, after the healing, Jesus found this man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Now sin no more, lest a worse thing or nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. One of my favorite passages of Scripture here. I want you to recognize something in your outline. Point number one, go with me if you would. Meeting the practical outward needs of people often opens a door to minister to their spiritual need. When we minister to someone outwardly, what Jesus did was minister to this man's physical need. The, the obvious need was the man needed healing in his legs to be able to walk. But Jesus recognized it was a greater need or, or perhaps a, a need that was equal to that at, at least. And that was the man was alone. 
He had nobody to help him. But on this day, Jesus had come not only to heal his legs, but to, but to be his friend. Jesus had come that he wasn't alone anymore. And so not only in this moment of healing, but the crowd pressed in around this man after he was healed and he rolled up his bed and began to walk. And the Bible says Jesus just kind of slipped away through the crowd. And then the man is at the temple later and the Bible recognizing, Jesus recognizing the man's loneliness issues, Jesus goes and finds this man all by himself in the temple. See, the man was healed and he took up his bed. I made a little, I had a little fun with this as I read through the scriptures this morning because I want us to recognize nobody celebrated with this man. It doesn't say anybody was rejoicing with him. In fact, all it tells us is the Jews criticized him. How many of you know that when God really starts moving and blessing, religious people get mad? People that are only religious, people that are merely religious, they get upset over a genuine move of God. They don't want to see God doing something out of the ordinary. We like Jesus to be boxed and contained. We like God to be in a way that we can control him, or at least we think we can. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God is bigger than the box you've tried to place him in in your life. And he's bigger than the box you've tried to place him in in terms of being able to help those around you. He's bigger than your box. And, and as, a, as a follower of Christ, we should rejoice when God is doing great things among us. This man was in a lonely place. He was broken. He had nobody to help him. And even in his healing, it doesn't tell us anybody rejoiced with him. He just got criticized. Jesus did not intend only to heal this man physically, but he, he intended to make him well, to make him whole. That's the purpose of Bethesda Worship Center. It's not just to see people come in here or us go out to them and help them with their physical needs. We do that. We try to go and meet practical needs of people. But our greatest concern, is, as, as much as we want to give somebody a cold drink of water if they're thirsty, we also want to recognize that their need is deeper than just getting water. Just as my need is greater than just receiving water. The need is I need to know God through Jesus Christ. And, that's, and I might have loneliness issues, and I might have some other things weighing in my heart, some brokenness. And so it's the glass of water given that might open that door, that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and, and share his love and his hope and his light with somebody in our sphere of influence. And, and so just serving them often opens that door. But, but Jesus recognized his purpose and his mission. In fact, we'll come back to John chapter 5, but just look over in your Bible to Luke 19 and 10. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Son of Man, he came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't just come to heal them of their, of their obvious sicknesses and diseases and ailments, all those things. He came to seek out those that are lost and to rescue them or to save them. And that's what we see Jesus do. After this great healing took place, he sought him out. The Bible says afterwards, Jesus sought this man and he found him in the temple. You see, the greatest need of this man was not physical healing. It was healing in his heart. It was a change in his heart that only God could bring. I've learned through my years that my greatest issues, my greatest needs at times was not that I needed a job. I needed the Lord to touch my heart because I was hurt or feeling rejected or whatever. I've learned through the years that there were times that I didn't need God to restore my marriage as much as I needed him to restore me. And once he restored me, he would take care of my marriage because I was surrendered to him. 
You, you, you hear what I'm saying? There's sometimes the outward needs of men seem obvious, but there's a greater work that God wants to do on the inside of us, restoring and renewing and healing the brokenness that is within. Often it's the manifestations of the outward things and then someone trying to help that opens the door for the Lord to do a deeper work in someone's life. We say around here at Bethesda often, each one, reach one. Each one of us should be reaching somebody in our sphere of influence. You know somebody in your sphere of influence that is hurting. Somebody in your sphere of influence that needs a friend. Somebody in your sphere of influence that needs a savior. Each one of us should be reaching out to those around us because God will use you to work and God will use you to do his work for people that I would never be able to talk to or minister to or maybe nobody else in our church would be able to reach them, but God's placed you there to be hope, to share his love and his light. In fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you are the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way. He says, you, you understand the principle that if we, like our candlelight service a few weeks ago, you, you can come in here and everything be pitch black, but you could put one candle here and you'll be surprised how much light it gives off in this sanctuary. Even when this place is pitch black in here, one candle on this table will light up more than you could even imagine. And he says, you understand that. You understand a city set on a hill. You understand what it's like to put a light out and be able to see. But then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. As you serve others, the light of Christ flowing through God's people. He says, let the light of Christ shine through us. Why? So that they may see the good works that we do and pat us on the back and tell us what a great group of people we are. Is that what the scripture tells us? Let your good works be seen by men so they'll pat your pastor on the back and say, what a great pastor you are. That's not why we do it. What a great church you go to at Bethesda. That's not why we do it. We do it. The Bible tells us why, right? Let our light shine before others. Why? So that they may see our good works. Why? So that they'll give glory to our Father who is in heaven. It's all that he might be glorified. Everything that we do, all the good things that we try to do, serving our community, serving one another, it's not for our glory, it's for the glory of God that he might be seen, that he might be praised. Can I tell you, we must carry the light of Christ into the darkness of our world. You and I, we must. You see, a lot of people get caught up in just critiquing the darkness of our world. Critiquing the darkness of our world is not gonna change anything. You do know that, I hope. Criticizing the darkness in our world is not going to change the darkness in our world. Condemning the darkness in our world is not going to change anything about our darkness in this world. Condemning the darkness is not going to change anything. Cursing the darkness is not going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change the darkness is when God's people carry the light of Jesus Christ into a dark and hurting world. That's what changes the darkness. It's God's people carrying his light 
into a lost and hurting world. And when we do that, he can be glorified. Notice point number two in your outline. When we carry the light of Christ into the world, we, we often see that the, the door is open for us to be able to, to share God's love and proclaim his truth to those folks. And what we would say here is each one teach one. So we, we say each one of us should be reaching someone and also each one of us should be teaching someone. We should be telling them what it means to be a follower of Christ, teaching them what it means to, to, to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. Did you know this man was sitting in the temple or in the temple when Jesus found him? We read that, right? He did not know who had healed him. Remember the Jews asked him, who did this? He goes, I don't know. Some guy told me to roll up my bed and get up and walk, and I did it. They said, who told you that? I don't know. I don't know who did this. So here's the question. How could he glorify the Father if he didn't even know who had helped him? How could he? He saw what was done for him, but how could he give praise to God if he did not know? Therefore, Jesus found him. He sought him out in the temple. Why? I believe so that he could begin a relationship and discipleship with this man to teach him what it was like. You say, why do you get discipleship out of this? Why do you get being able to teach him more of the truth of God's word? Because look at the words of Jesus. Jesus began to teach him, now go and sin no more. Live. Live the way you should live. Sin is disobedience to God, by the way, if you're not sure. He says, stop disobeying God. You see, those who have been touched by the power and love and mercy of God, those who have been touched by the word of God must now or should now also live by the words of God. I said those who have been changed or touched by the words of the living God should now also live according to the words of the living God. And Jesus wanted him to know that. You've been touched, you've been changed, your life is different now. Stop doing what you've been doing and live a different life. How could he do that without training? He wouldn't even know perhaps that he needed to do that. You wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that. So Jesus found this man in the temple. He was not content just to heal his body physically, but now he's interested in saving his soul. That's, that's been the purpose the whole time, to see him come to a relationship with God the Father and learn and grow. The entire gospel of Jesus Christ, get this, the entire gospel points to God initiating a relationship with mankind. He initiates a relationship with broken and hurting people through Jesus Christ. That's why we have the incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among men. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Do you realize a relationship with God the Father is not your idea? It was God's God wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He loves mankind. Having a relationship with him is not our first thought. It was his first thought. He wants a relationship with mankind. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to live in a loving, merciful, truthful, pure relationship with you in such a way that our lives are changed. And it wasn't our idea. Before we ever thought of God, he was thinking of us. Before we ever called out to him to save us and to rescue us, he was calling out to us through Jesus Christ and his love. Before we ever reached out to the Lord, he is and was reaching out to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And we see that exemplified. We see that uh, 
personified through Jesus Christ in this moment. Jesus is always initiating that contact. God is always initiating that relationship. And we see that in the afterwards. Jesus found this man in the temple. He wanted a relationship with him. He wanted to begin to teach him. We're committed as a church family to help disciple people, to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's part of our mission. We're not just interested in giving a cold glass of water to those in need. We do that. But we also want to help them come to a relationship with the Lord Jesus to receive Jesus Christ. And then don't just stop there, but we want to help them learn what that means. What does it mean to live a life that honors God? We're committed to that. And we believe we're better walking together. We believe that we're better walking together here at Bethesda. I believe that we're sent into the world. We are sent to, to both reach people in our world with mercy and grace and to teach them the truth of God's word. That's point number three in your outline. We believe with everything in us we are sent to this world to reach this world with the mercy and grace of God and also to teach them his truth. Not just to reach them with his kindness, but to teach them his truths. He sent us out. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, the words of Jesus to his followers. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make Christ followers. Make, make disciples of all people groups, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're to be doing teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's the words of Jesus. Jesus taught us that by his example here in John 9. And that's what we're to be doing, teaching people around us the way of Jesus Christ. And then here's the promise that goes along with the, with, with the uh, mission. He tells us to go out and, and teach the gospel, to teach all nations what he's taught to us, what he's commanded us. And then he promises, I'm going to be with you always. I'm not sending you out by yourself. You see, God sends people out in his name. And you don't have to be afraid to, to reach out to people around you. In fact, our New Year's theme is don't, do not be afraid. The Lord birthed this in us over, over the last few months, this theme as we prayed and, and called out to God about our theme for the new year as a church. Our theme for this new year is do not be afraid. As we go and we minister to people and we reach them with the good news of Jesus and we try to teach them the ways of the Lord, the world would want us to be afraid to do that. People around us would want to try to intimidate us perhaps or organizations or groups or maybe even governments would want us to be intimidated. But the word of the Lord is do not be afraid. The Lord woke me up in the night and I saw this image of a, of a man that was a shepherd and a warrior and I thought that is my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He's a shepherd to guide us as we go in his name, and he's a warrior to protect us as we go in his name. You're going to hear more about this theme through the year. You're going to see more of this picture in different areas. I appreciate him even having it on the front of your bulletin today. It's the theme for 2024 for us. Let it be an encouragement to you in your life. Do not be afraid. Sit down at a table with a friend over a cup of coffee and talk with them. That's where discipleship starts. I believe if Jesus was walking the earth today in the flesh and he went and found this man that he had healed, maybe he would have found him here at Bethesda. He went to the temple. Maybe he would have found him here. And you know what Jesus would have done? He would have sat down with him after church and had coffee and donuts with him and said, let's talk. 
Your life has been changed. Now let's visit about what needs to happen from here. If Jesus chased him down and tracked him down downtown, he would have found him in one of our great coffee shops. He would have sat and had coffee with him and said, let's talk. Let's learn. That's what we're supposed to be doing as God's people. We don't just see their practical needs met. We don't even just work to get them saved or to see them come into a right relationship with Christ. That's part of it. Don't get me wrong. That's the ultimate goal, but then we must teach people. We must train people and disciple them on what it means to be a follower of Christ in the year 2024. And as God sends us, friends, do not be afraid. 